Listener Production. Hello, happy Friday and welcome to The Briefing. For four decades, gay and bisexual men all over the world have been banned or restricted in some way from donating blood. Last week, the United States joined a bunch of other countries and removed the restrictions entirely. So the US Food and Drug Administration says that gay and bisexual men no longer have to wait three months after their last sexual encounter to donate blood and that now anyone who wants to donate will go through the same individual processes, regardless of gender or sexual orientation. The UK, France, the Netherlands, Germany, they've all done this. But we haven't yet. I'm not that optimistic for Australia. If anything, I feel like Australia continues to lag behind, which, uh, in my opinion, is a real shame where we really have an opportunity to just propel ourselves to being back to the front here. Where are we when it comes to letting gay and bisexual men donate blood just like any other person? That is coming up a little bit later in the show. But first, as always, today's headlines. It is Friday, May 19. I'm joined by Rihanna Patrick. In New Zealand, a man has been charged with two counts of arson following Tuesday's deadly hostel fire in Wellington that killed six with up to 20 others missing. The man in his 40s hasn't been identified and could face more charges. Police have said they're confident no one else was involved in the alleged arson attack. A police recon team started recovering the first bodies from Loafers Lodge boarding house yesterday. Two bodies were retrieved and it's hoped two more will be pulled out today. More than 50 people were rescued by fire crews. And Fran, it's also come to light that there had been a couch fire two hours before that deadly blaze. Yeah. The other thing to note is that authorities say very sadly that the death toll may rise. Um, The building itself was so damaged that they've not been able to conduct a full and, and thorough search yet. So that's what's happening now. The G7, a meeting of the leaders of the world's seven richest countries, is set to get underway in Japan. Anthony Albanese will land in Hiroshima today, while the Japanese PM Fumio Kishida and US President Joe Biden have already spoken, agreeing sanctions against Russia should continue. And those leaders have started to arrive, and it's expected that they will talk about the war in Ukraine and Chinese aggressions towards Taiwan. Yeah, there is also the possibility for a quasi-quad meeting Um, This is, of course, after Joe Biden cancelled his trip to Australia. He was supposed to meet um, Japan's leader, India's leader, our leader here. That won't be going ahead, but they they could be meeting on the sidelines of the G7. Um, So not as much fanfare. There is also the possibility that Anthony Albanese could visit China um, because trade sanctions are sort of continuing to ease. Yesterday, China lifted the tariffs that had been levelled against our timber products uh, three years ago. So that's another sign of of thawing relations, I suppose, between China and Australia. TikTok will be banned in the U.S. state of Montana from the start of next year. It's the first U.S. state to completely ban the Chinese-owned app and comes after concerns about potential Chinese government influence over the platform. The bill states that app stores who offer TikTok to residents of Montana could face fines of up to $10,000 per day, while TikTok says the ban is unlawful as it interferes with free speech rights. Fran, I'm not in the TikTok realm at all, but... How will this ban work and, and could it work? Well, so it's it's coming in, um, I noticed, January 1, 2024. So happy new year, Montanas. If you want to share any of your, <laughs> your new year content, you can't. 
Apple and Google, for example, are just restricted from putting it onto their app stores within what's called Montana's like geographical boundaries. It's not a foolproof plan. There's, you know, software blocking technology that could kind of circumvent that. It's not users who will pay penalties. Um, as you mentioned, it's, it's the app stores that provide it to users in that state. But, um, you know, TikTok's been very firm on the fact that they've never shared data with the Chinese government, but they know this is a real thorn in their side in the US because while Montana's the first state to fully ban it, there's been other states that have banned it on the phones of government employees. And Joe Biden's saying that, you know, the Chinese owners need to sell their shares, otherwise they could face wider bans in the US as well. So TikTok knows this and what it's trying to do, and it set up something called Project Texas this year, it's trying to store US data on US servers. So to try and allay the fears of US lawmakers a little bit by saying, look, the data stored in the US, it's overseen by the US, we're not sharing anything with the Chinese government. But um, Montana is a small state. It's not like New York has done this and everyone will follow suit. But yeah. Uh, it doesn't look great for TikTok. Rafael Nadal has announced he will likely retire after next year. A hip injury from playing in the Australian Open has persisted, forcing him to pull out of the French Open, which starts at the end of this month. My ambition is to, to try to, to stop, to give myself uh, an opportunity to, to enjoy next year. That's probably going to be my, my, my last year. Uh, in a professional tour. No, that's my idea. This is the first time since 2004 he won't compete in the event and, Jan, probably not how he saw his career ending. I love him so much. <laughs> yeah, he's known as the king of the clay. You know he won the French Open 14 times? Phew. Like I didn't. I didn't, so thank you for filling me in. Well, you're so welcome. I mean, how is anyone supposed to beat that record? He reckons he's only got, as he said there, one year of top tennis left in him, but he's been doing this for coming on on two decades now, and he is, you know, in his late 30s, which is not old. I am also in my <laughs> late 30s. But, you know, for someone who has been playing professional tennis for so long, it takes its toll on the body. Ah, oh, Rafa, no. All right, up next, the US is allowing gay men to donate blood sans restrictions. Will we do the same? It's coming up. It's a ban that's been in place since the 1980s. Gay and bisexual men prohibited from donating blood. Last week, the US became the latest country to scrap the ban. And to talk us through that is Darian Aaron from GLAD, that is an LGBTQ advocacy organisation. Darian, welcome to the briefing. Just take us back a little bit. How did this ban first come about? Well, the initial ban on blood donations for gay and bisexual men actually started in the early 80s. I like to kind of describe it as a mass hysteria that uh, many folks went through in um, the early 80s at the height of the HIV AIDS epidemic, where um, folks were really trying to make sure that the blood supply in America was safe. And there was so much stigma around HIV AIDS in those early days and stigma attached to folks who identified as gay or bisexual. And so 
those in charge decided that gay and bisexual men were prone to be living with HIV, or in those days, it was stigmatizing language like AIDS carriers. And so there was a ban put in place to make sure that the nation's blood supply was safe. And so what we're finding out now uh, and what we found out in those early days was that anyone was susceptible to um, acquiring HIV AIDS. Uh, if you were sexually active, regardless of your sexual orientation or gender identity, HIV impacts us all. And luckily we're now at a place where um, science has advanced to the point where people who are living with HIV are living long, healthy lives if they're able to get into care and maintain care. And so this blood ban, this update, by the FDA on these uh, guidelines are definitely a step in the right direction because now we're at a place where gay and bisexual men are being treated just like every other American citizen who wants to selflessly give of themselves to help save lives. So we're in a much better place now than we were in the early days of the 80s and the HIV AIDS epidemic. What was the impetus for this latest decision? What do you think finally turned it around and why now? I think organizations like GLAD have been advocating for this change for a really long time. There have been incremental changes in the policy over the years. Uh, we went from having an outright ban to uh, having a 12-month uh, deferral period in 2015 to now in 2023 having all blood be equal, which is a step in, in the right direction. Unfortunately, there is still a three-month deferral period uh, for people who are adhering to a PrEP or a PEP prescription. And for those in your audience who may not be familiar with PrEP, PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis. It is a drug that is prescribed to people who are not living with HIV, so HIV-negative people, in order to prevent them from acquiring HIV. PEP is a, a drug that's given to folks who think that they may have been uh, exposed to HIV within the first 48 hours that will keep them from hopefully uh, seroconverting to becoming HIV positive. So those are uh, two really great examples of how far we've come scientifically. And for so long, the ban on blood donations from gay and bisexual men just did not line up with science. And so this move now in 2023 is no longer flying in the face of science, but it's adhering to science, which uh, we're really excited to see here at GLAAD, as well as some of our other partners that have been advocating for this change with us. So the FDA says that it's going to move to what's called an individual risk assessment. How does that differ from the previous policy and what is involved in that? A lot of the questions uh, prior to this change going into effect were really invasive. Uh, sometimes the language was really homophobic and it focused on what uh, the FDA perceived to be high risk behaviors. For example, uh, anal sex and, and other uh, sexual activities that are not just akin to gay and bisexual men, but people from all sexual orientations participate in these exact same behaviors, but they were not being asked the same questions that gay and bisexual men were being asked. So now there's one standard across the board for all people who are interested in donating blood. And I keep saying that is a step in the right direction because it truly is, because blood donations should be equal. 
And this is an opportunity for all people to be treated the same. And for years, that's really the only thing that the LGBTQ community here in America has been asking for, equality, equity, in terms of how we are treated, in terms of how we are seen, and in terms of how our stories are being told in the media. And storytelling is a very powerful tool, and it also has an, um, an ability to inform policy. And we're seeing that, I think, with the marriage equality movement, for example, and with the blood donation um, updated guidelines that we now have from the FDA. Well, you must be very, very stoked with this latest decision. I am. I am. I'm really excited uh, for our community. But not only that, I'm excited for all the people in this country who are going to now benefit from being able to get blood. A 2014 study by the Williams Institute estimated that if the ban were to be lifted, an additional 360,000 men would likely donate, which could help save the lives of more than a million people. And that's what it's really all about at the end of the day. It's not about the politics that uh, has informed the blood ban all of these years. It's not about the fear and the homophobia that has informed this policy, but it's about saving lives. And that definitely makes me happy. It makes us as an organization happy because we're now going to be able to impact the lives of so many people in a positive way. We're really going to benefit from blood donations. That was Darian Aaron from LGBTQ organization. Glad there. Let's get the Australian perspective on this now from Thomas Buxero. He is from the Let Us Give campaign. He's been pushing to see similar changes happen here in Australia. Thomas, welcome. You are a gay man and you want to donate blood. Can you do that? Unfortunately, I cannot. Uh, if I want to donate blood uh, right now, when I go to do that, I'll be asked a, a number of questions. And one of them will be whether I've had sex with another man and being in a gay relationship. Unfortunately, that will prevent me from donating blood. So what is the status of blood donation for gay men in Australia? Can they donate blood at all? Is there a time period? What are some of the restrictions in place? So the only way for a gay man to donate blood in Australia is to have no sexual activity with another man for a period of at least three months. What is your sort of position on that? What do you think about that? Whilst I understand that, you know, everyone wants to keep the blood levels safe and not take any risks, I think the question is no longer appropriate. This is a question that was introduced at the height of the uh, AIDS crisis uh, to make sure that there was no issue with, uh, with blood contamination. But things have evolved so much today that now it's actually failing to take into account the behaviour of a single individual and it's just applying a blanket question, which in um, my opinion is not even that effective at actually making sure that people who shouldn't donate blood because of risk factors are not are not donating blood. So we've seen a bunch of countries lift the ban or make really radical changes to it. The US has been the latest country. What would you like to see here in Australia? So what these countries have done is that they've moved away from those blanket questions and they're actually taking an approach which is targeted uh, to an individual. Um, so everyone gets asked a number of questions that are relevant to them, not the community they're part of, not their sexual orientation. It's just focusing on what are classified as high risk 
behaviours in terms of blood donation, and that's all the only thing that's focused on. So that's exactly what we'd like to see in Australia. Stop asking a question uh, like I just said to you: Have you had any sexual activity with another man in a period of um, in the last three months? But instead, ask me what practices are at risk. Um, in this instance, ask me whether I've had multiple partners or new partners in the in the three month period, and then it would make sense to if that if I was to answer yes, then it would make sense to defer me from donating blood. And where is Australia right now in terms of moving towards that goal? Because as I understand it, the TGA is currently reviewing a ban on gay and bisexual men donating plasma. So that's something that might be happening in the near future. But where are we on blood donation and really scrapping the ban in the same way that the US and other countries have done? Based on what we've seen so far, um, it feels like we're still very far away from um, considering moving to an individual risk-based assessment method. Um, you're right, there's some work being done to allow gay men um, to donate plasma, um, but that's still at the very early stages as well. It's just um, reviewing an application submitted to, to the TGA at the moment. Um, but Lifeblood have indicated that a research group is being put together to look into whether um, an individual risk-based assessment model could work for Australia. What we're saying is that, you know, they're indicating this is going to take years potentially. Uh, we feel that this, the research is ready now and like the precedent, other countries have been able to move to this very successfully. They have very similar patterns as uh, Australia and therefore we don't feel like this. we should be years away from a change like this. We feel like the, the time to change is now. What would it mean to the gay community and what would it mean for Australia more broadly if this ban was to be scrapped? To put it really simply, if you remove that ban, it means that you open the door to a completely new source of blood in Australia. And the reason that it's so important is that we're actually facing a blood levels crisis at the moment. Uh, so being able to welcome a new source of blood in the donation system is invaluable for Australia. Are you feeling optimistic um, given the US's decision? If I'm completely honest, um, whilst I'm thrilled that the US have moved uh, in that direction and they're, again, they're one country, uh, one more country to have done so, I'm not that optimistic for Australia. If anything, I feel like Australia continues to lag behind, um, which uh, in my opinion is a real shame where we really have an opportunity to just propel ourselves to being back to the front here. When you say you're not optimistic, why is that? It feels like we're still potentially years away. There's not even any clarity that this is actually like there isn't a strong drive or a strong push to go to that model. It's not even guaranteed right now that this is something that we're moving towards. And even then, it would still be like a, quite a, a really long time away. So it's hard to be that optimistic when other countries are actually managing to move to this model uh, very quickly. Thomas Buxero there from Let Us Give. Uh, not sounding too optimistic about Australia scrapping the ban on gay and bisexual men donating blood. Uh, as he said, Lifeblood, Red Cross's Lifeblood, is a few months into a two-year research program to work out if an individual risk assessment approach is suitable. Whatever it is that they decide uh, won't be for another few years, though. Well, that is it for our show, for our Monday to Friday show. We have a show on Saturday, the weekend briefing with Jam Jam. My nickname for her, Jamila Rizvi, who's on tomorrow. I was not sure what to expect when I sat down for the conversation we're releasing on the weekend briefing. It was with fitness entrepreneur and influencer Kayla Itzinas. You will know her, I imagine, from her app. It's now called Sweat. It used to be called the Bikini Body Guide. And 
Look, I'm someone who is pretty uncomfortable with the idea of promoting exercise purely as a path to weight loss and and pushing low-calorie eating plans into the world, particularly when they're being marketed to young women. So I I went in ready to hold Kayla to account and then I met a new mum who's still in the middle of the newborn phase who is experiencing her own pressures to, in inverted commas, bounce back and... I don't know, it was not what I expected it to be. I think this is a conversation listeners will find really intriguing. Sounds like you're absolutely right there, Jam. A very interesting conversation coming up for you this weekend. Uh, That's it from us. That's it from the Monday to Friday briefing. We will catch you next week. Have a good one. Listener.